my, what my hope is uh, this, this morning is to go maybe 30, 35 minutes of me giving you some content, and then I'm going to give you as a couples a chance to, to interact over the material, and I've got some leading questions there uh, for that. So uh, praying for, for wherever, uh, thanks, <laughs> it was a little more safe. <laughs> um, I don't, know, I don't know anything about you, most of, any of you, really, except Billy and Brenda. Um, so I don't know if you're coming into this time married 40 years, 50 years, and doing great, and uh, feeling, feeling love and uh, strength, or if you've been married a year and you wondered why you jumped into this whole thing, <laughs> um, or if you've been married 50 years and still wondering why you jumped into this whole thing. <laughs> Uh, I, I don't know, uh, and, and, and that's, I guess, the luxury of not knowing, is I can just share what I think God wants us to hear and, and trust that His Spirit will uh, apply. And, and I also, am a, I am, I'm a churchman, I'm an ecclesiologist, <laughs> and I believe that Christ's presence on earth is in His church, and that what will happen from this will be as good as you engage with your church body around this uh, and so I hope as we get into this, you will, uh, marriages that are isolated are headed towards bad spots. And uh, as a pastor in town, I see this, I mean, just yesterday, I had two, two counseling appointments of marriages that are on the rocks because they've been isolated for decades. And now things are coming. We just had a marriage conference at our church, and, and uh, it stirred the hornet's nest uh, in a lot, a lot of good ways and a lot of bad ways. Uh, n- none of them bad, like bad, but... Stuff came out, you know, you know what I'm saying. So uh, I'm going to give you some of the content that we, we talked about in our, in our deal. Uh, and then a lot of what I'm going to give you here is just baseline foundational stuff that we all need to be reminded of. Hopefully you've heard before, uh, but I'm not going to assume that you have uh, either. I don't, again, I don't know where you're coming in, so I'm not going to assume anything. Uh, but we'll just, we'll just get in. So the first page there, if you have it and you want to see, and, and as more copies come, is just a list of resources that have been helpful to me and uh, to my wife and, and, the, and the people we've led for 20-plus uh, years. Um, I've been running a campus organization. Uh, it's so funny how parallel Billy and I's lives have been, and I'm you know, 30 years behind him since he's in his 80s now. Uh, <laughs> Uh, I turned 45 in February, and you turned what on Tuesday? 63 on Tuesday. Um, Anyway, so, uh, but it's been funny, you know, Billy was campus ministry and then church, and and that's kind of been my trajectory, too. I I still do a lot with the campus work, but I'm a pastor now. But these these resources here have been helpful, and I I know you've probably got others, but I just included those. There's two marriage series there that are preaching series. I encourage you. And if you, if, uh, if you have, uh, some of you have children that are um, going towards marriage, this series right here by Robbie Zacharias called I, Isaac, Take You, Rebecca, is tremendous. It is a tremendous uh, just uh, exposition of some principles pulled out of how uh, God brought Rebecca to Isaac and, uh, and that thing. It's just good. It's just some good stuff. So just wanted to give you some resources there. All right, so the first thing I want to do is, uh, one of the things we, I want to tell you a little bit about what we just did at, at our church, and, uh, and, and there's, I put down at the bottom, if you can, when you get it, um, there's a podcast, that our conference we call each year is called Good of the Bluegrass Conference, and, and we've, we've covered topics 
uh, on anxiety and depression. Last year was on city and cultural renewal. This year was on marriage and family. So you can go to the podcast and you can listen. They're good. And then you can go to our church website and you can get, the, what we do is we book into the conference with our pastor does two sermons. And this year's sermons were, it was, it, it really, the Lord really launched us well and, and closed us well. And so what, what, our, what our senior pastor did is he, he took the whole focus on the family uh, movement. You, everybody knows focus on the family has been uh, a powerful movement in Christendom for the last 40 plus years. But what's interesting is in, in a Christian movement for 40 years that has focused on the family, how in shambles most Christian families actually are. <laughs> uh, it's, it's a little bit disturbing that we've had an emphasis on focusing on the family, yet we've got wayward children, we've got divorce rates as high in the church as they are in the world. Uh, and, and, and so the first, the first sermon that Robert preached, and I want to kind of launch our time, is that there needs to be a refocus on the family. And what he said was what happened with the focus on the family movement is it became focus on the family out there, uh, the political nature of make sure our constitution supports the family, make sure uh, we have real understanding of the gender roles and, and stuff that's, and we forgot the, my family. And so uh, we're not going to change the culture if my family's in shambles. It doesn't matter what my political views are and what my biblical worldview is that I want the world to own. You know, the Jeo-Christian heritage we have is great and all, and we should be about those political... But the greatest starting point for any kind of change is right here. Uh, uh, just on my way in, from, uh, there's a, a Lutheran church uh, on, the, on the bypass, or on, the, on 27, I think it's Lutheran church, and they're the ones who christen their dogs and cats each year. You know the church I'm talking about. But the, for, huh? It's Episcopal. This year they had actually a good sign on their marquee, and it said, Lord, change the world and start with me. Yeah, it was on their board this morning. And, and that really is... That really is what I'm getting at when we say refocus on the family. It's not to wonder how the, what, what drifts is the culture going in. And we know they're going major drifts. Uh, we need to focus right here. So then we did our conference. And then he preached the last uh, sermon on unfocus on the family. And he used Jesus' teaching of, uh, I came to bring a sword. Uh, unless you hate your mother and your father and your brother and sister, uh, when his mother came and said, Jesus, your mother and brother are here. He said, you, who do the will of my father, are my, are my brother and brother and sister. You know, almost like dismissive of the family. And his point there was family, and particularly in Christian circles, can become an idol. Where we focus too much on it. We try to have too much control. We try to uh, give too much energy to that, and there's a bigger family that Jesus had in mind, that God had in mind, that we should be investing in and that kind of thing. So I wanted to kind of start there and say, I don't know where you might be coming. You know, you might really be passionate about the family dynamics in our culture, and your family might need to be given some focus, and maybe that's where you are. Or you might be one of those families that's, I'm really focused on my family, and today you need to be liberated from that a little bit and say, trust God. Uh, there's some things that can happen that you can't control and uh, that kind of thing. And I know in a church, we got people on both spectrums. we got people in our church like that. that uh, and so if nothing else, what we're going to do is either uh, draw our attention back to maybe you and your wife need to focus on your marriage and your family for a little while, or you and your wife need to figure out ways to stop being so focused on family and expand that. So that's kind of where we're headed. Uh, let me lay a couple of foundational things. And... 
the last 10 years, to be honest. Uh, ben, you have more copies? If you don't have a copy, Ben's got a whole bunch there. Raise your hand and Ben can bring you this. Um, and I don't, know, I don't know why this is, but every time I teach now, for some reason, this, what I'm about to give you, these, these foundational things, I always start here. <laughs> Even if, if I was doing a seminar on money, <laughs> uh, I would start here. And, and it's because, uh, I think you'll see. Okay, this, is, this to me is the foundational part that, that every Christian um, ought to think, rethink, pray, repray, own, because this is, the, this is where the Bible starts, right? Genesis 1 and 2, often, oftentimes called the creation mandate. Uh, how did God create the world? What was his intentions? You know, before there was ever sin and death, there was glory on the creation. It was, it was, as, it was perfect. God saw the, the, the creation as good, and then the creation of Adam and Eve as very good. Uh, and then we know it all went to shambles after that. But the, Revel- but the book of Revelation actually tells us that that's restored when Jesus is ruling and God is dwelling with his people. There is no weeping. There is no, uh, there is no pain. There is no cancer. The, it, the garden, in a sense, is renewed and restored, right? So we get the Bible bookends with this. And, and you, know the, you know the passage in, in, in Genesis 1. If you, if you have your Bibles and you want to turn there, just look at it. Uh, Genesis 1... <clears throat> Um, 20, and I'm at the age where I have to have readers now. Um, Genesis 1, 26. You, you, know this, you know this passage, but let's just read it. Then God said, let us make man in our image. After our likeness, let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the heavens, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. Very familiar passage. This is, this is our starting point. Uh, I often like to ask Christians, when you think about yourself, how do you first think about yourself? And most Christians answer that with, I'm a sinner saved by grace, which is absolutely true. But you're not first a sinner. You're first in the mind of God created in his image. Uh, that's your starting point. Now, that image, as we'll see, is shattered and marred and needs to be redeemed. You're not as you should be. But the first place there is image bearer. Uh, the way I like to think about the image bearer concept is uh, I like to hike. And uh, one of my favorite things to do when I'm out in the mountains or in the woods is walk up onto a, a body of water, a lake or a pond, first thing in the morning when it's undisturbed, and see the reflection of the mountains or the, the trees on that water. But inevitably, when you see that image on the water, which is, can be stunning, your eyes don't stay on the water. Where do they do? They, they, they drift to the original. That's the idea of an image bearer. The, the water bears the image of the mountains, but it's the mountains that get the glory. The, the water's just reflecting it. And that's what God did with you and I, male and female. Is he made you uh, to, so that people would look at you and gawk at him. <laughs> uh, that they would see your femininity. They would see your masculinity. And they would praise him. Uh, that's the idea of an image bearer. And how does that connect to marriage? Your marriage is supposed to do that too. It's interesting how this, you know, Genesis 2, 24 and 25, which is the, the it's kind of odd how Moses just kind of throws this 
application at the end of the creation story. It does that with a therefore. Like, what's the therefore, therefore? You know, you have to always ask that. Uh, therefore is always an application. His application to the creation of Adam and Eve was, a man shall leave his mother and father and be united with his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. He gives a marriage application, which for us, as, as we study the scriptures, like, so everything he just said about individuals being made in the image of God, therefore applies to the marriage union, the one flesh concept. And so, image bearer, your, your marriage ought to be something that the world looks at, that others look at and give glory to God. You are to image that, and we'll see that as we go. The second thing that I have there on the triangle there is dominion. God intended Adam and Eve to bring the world under their rule, which in turn would have been his rule, right? At that, at that moment in time, they were not rebels. They were not creating alternate kingdoms and alternate uh, dominions. Uh, they weren't being ruled by people. They were actually ruling the world. Uh, as we know in Revelation, that's what gets restored to us. Uh, Jesus tells us we're going to be kingdom, kings and priests to our God, and we're going to reign on the earth. That dominion will be restored, but that was a created mandate. And what, the, what does that have to do with your marriage? Well, your marriage is not to be ruled by anything. You're to bring everything in your marriage under the lordship, kingship of Jesus. And you are to have dominion over your world, your marriage. We'll, we'll talk some about that. And then the third thing there is relationships. Uh, this was a fo- key foundation that God gave Adam and Eve. It just, just, just in the fact that he created male and female tells us that God, uh, all of this you can, I mean, obviously this is uh, one of my favorite teachers was John Frame. I don't know if anybody knows John Frame. And he's famous for his triperspectivalism, uh, where he talks about everything in threes, everything in triangles. Uh, it's interesting, you can kind of look at the world and kind of see that, right? Uh, but the, the, the creation mandate is rooted in the Trinity, which is a uh, triperspectival view of Father, Son, Holy Spirit. That we, 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 have a, we have a Trinitarian faith as Christians, right? We believe in uh, the Trinity. Uh, here, <clears throat> we, we have this relational component because God is a relational God. Uh, he always existed in relationship. What he did was bring us into that fellowship with him when he created us. Uh, and then in First John actually says, in our redemption, we were brought into the fellowship with, with God and with his, with his son, with the spirit. So, but relationships are key to this creation component. Look, and just let me point this out from a, from a wording standpoint. This was, this was, a, this was a, a big paradigm shift for me. Verse 28 says, and God blessed them, and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth. That's the relational component. God had in mind fruitfulness and multi- multiplying. But I don't know if you're like me, but I always read that up to about five or six years ago as a formula, right? Okay, God blessed Adam and Eve and said to them, be fruitful and multiply. So in a sense, what I, what I heard that in my head was, okay, God gave me the resources and tools to now go get busy being fruitful and multiplying. That's what it reads like. In our English translation. In, in the Hebrew, though, the, the way these words and the way the structure of the sentence reads, it does not read like that in its original intent. It reads like this. I have blessed you and will ensure that you will be fruitful and multiply. It's, in a sense, it's not up to you. It's going to happen because I put my blessing on you. Because I blessed you, I'm going to ensure that you're fruitful and multiply. And in Revelation... When they're in Revelation 5, when they're standing around the throne and it's people from every nation, tribe, tongue, uh, it's the clear, it happened. <laughs> uh, it, God was 
came true on his blessing of his promise of blessing. All the nations were blessed through through this promise of him blessing. And as we, you know, you see that in Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. The whole the whole Old Testament unfolds that way. But the, the, that, was, that was very uh, liberating for me. I'm a, I'm a hard-charging, go-getter, conquer-the-world type guy. But to be liberated that this promise of being fruitful and multiply wasn't actually up to me, though I have some significant responsibility. Uh, i got some more there. Um, the actual onus of this promise being fulfilled is on God. <laughs> and he's going to ensure that by blessing his people. Um, so how does that affect your marriage? Well, your, mes- your marriage very much has a missional component to it. You, it's not just about you and your little uh, time on earth and getting this right. It is about generations and generations and generations uh, putting their hope in God. And so what you're doing as a couple, what you're doing as a family is much bigger than you. And you have to think that way. It's a, it's a be fruitful and multiply component. All right. So that's the initial thing. And then you can just turn the page and you can see the big red, big red triangle there. It's not as it is. And we could go around the room. Uh, I could start and tell you that even just last night, my wife and I had an uh, emboldened conversation uh, about something our kid, one of our kids was going through. We, we, we worked it out. We're good. Uh, we went through the process of some of the stuff I'm going to talk to you about. But just last night, right, uh, this, it's, it's clear uh, my image-bearing component, her image-bearing component is shattered. We are, we are insecure. We are fearful. We are proud. We are arrogant. We steal glory. We build our own kingdoms. The, the image-bearing component is shattered. Uh, that's what sin did. I am no longer bringing dominion to my own appetites or my home. I'm actually governed at times and ruled by my own appetites and my, the, my kids' emotions and my wife's Appetites. I mean, it's, it's complex, right? You choose to get married, you choose to double sin. You start having kids, you triple sin. You have more kids, you quadruple. I mean, it's just a cesspool of dysfunction. I don't care how godly you are. Uh, you are. You are scarring your wife, your husband, and your kids. They're all scarred because of this shattered component. Um, but under this ruled by, let me just, and how does this affect, you, you know the, the idea of the, the biblical teaching of idols, that uh, what, what God had the most problem with his people was that they were giving their worship over to other gods. And uh, the, the, the teaching on idols is, is a very scathing one throughout the Bible. And, and, and it, we have to think about this because we make idols out of lots of good things. But you know the nature of doing that is when you make something an idol, um, you end up crushing whatever it is you're idolizing because it, you're, it's not able to deliver what you're wanting it to deliver to you. So if you idolize your spouse, you're going to crush him or her. She can't fulfill you completely. He can't fulfill you completely. And you will crush her if she is your idol or if he is your idol. And the flip side, your idol will end up crushing you. She won't deliver what you want and it will crush you. So if I'm expecting Danielle to be this for me, then I'm going to crush her with that pressure, and she's going to crush me with disappointment. That's, that's what happened at the fall, is we stopped making God the end of all of this, and we started making lesser gods. Uh, that can be a, another person. That can be a hobby. That can be a child. That could be a, uh, I mean, it could be a, a statue of Buddha. But for us in, in our world, it's not usually something as clear as a golden statue that we bow down to. It's something a lot more heinous that's under the surface, that we're idolizing, and therefore crushing and being crushed by. 
And so we're, that's part of the fall. Part of what the devil tempted them with is you, you, you can be God. You don't, you don't need Yahweh. You don't need to worship him. You, you can actually do this yourself. And you can actually gather around yourself lots of little de- demigods that you can uh, be. And, and, it's, and, and, and we're a culture just broken for that. So then the broken, our relationships are just shattered. I, you know, <laughs> the fall is Genesis 3. Genesis 4, 1 says that the first two brothers killed each other. We don't have to, it's not a far leap to understand what happened, right? It's just the next chapter. Uh, relationships are broken. There wasn't supposed to be any murder and killing and that kind of thing. We, we are broken. And this is, this is broken from everything from horrific stuff like abuse and abandonment, which some of you have been, have been a part of, to just simple, we just can't get along. We, we couldn't agree last night on what we should do with one of our kids. Like there wasn't any abuse or abandonment or hostility, but it's just broken. We were confused. We were that kind of thing. There's, there's, there's brokenness in our relationships. Um. But we all know that the Bible doesn't leave us in our shattered, ruled by brokenness, right? Jesus comes and rescues us. And it's interesting as you see the, the language of Jesus. And so Jesus is the image of God. He is the perfect uh, representation of his nature, according to Hebrews 1 and Colossians 1. He, what he's called the second Adam or the last Adam, 1 Corinthians 15. What you and I failed to do, what Adam and Eve failed to do, he did fully and completely. So he restores the image-bearing component. Uh, he came and brought dominion to the earth. Uh, he actually took the devil out into the desert, or that Holy Spirit took Jesus out into the desert to have a fight with the devil, and he put, put the cosmos back in order. It's over for you, pal. Uh, uh, bring it on. Uh, but I'm here to tell you the kingdom of God is at hand. Uh, your, day, your day is over. And, and, and we know the story. The, the, the head of the serpent will be crushed. And what's crushed? At the cross. And then relationships restored. Uh, not, our primary relationship with God was restored. And now we have the capability of restoring relationships with each other uh, because of the gospel. And we're going to see that. So that's foundational. Uh, that's foundational to our faith. And you can see how that would be applicable to anything we were talking about. But it's so applicable to your marriage. And if you can get that right... That I'm an image bearer, she's an image bearer, therefore I should treat her and him like an image bearer. Uh, we aren't to be ruled by things, our own appetites, our own emotions, our, our schedules, our money, our kids, whatever it is. We are to bring that under the rule of God, and we are to be fruitful and multiply. We are to be healthy and increasing in number. Like that, that, that alone would be a, we could end and say, okay, Lord, help us to do that. But let's, 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 let's double click on that and make it a little more. All right. If I had to oversimplify marriage, this, this, this is how I'd do it. This is way oversimplified. But some of us, I'm, a, I'm an early childhood education major, and my first teaching assignment was in the kindergarten. So that'll tell you my intellectual plateau is kindergarten. Uh, so I have big, you know, bold letters and pictures and all these kind of things. But if I had to say, biblically speaking, if you had to think about anything, husbands, your role in your family is you are the head. We're going to talk a lot about this. Wife, you are the helper. Now, those are lightning rod words that have all kind of (laughs) disassociative things. He just called me a helper? Some of you kind of got your hackles up. He just called me the head? I'm not not a good enough leader. (laughs) Like, and we, all of that, those responses you might have just had is because of the fall, not because of uh, the the truth about this, right? For instance, the word helper. 
Do you know that there's 20 times in the Bible the word, is helper is, the word helper is used? Ten of them are used to describe God. So if you have this idea of helper as this sort of wussy, weak person who just follows this tyrant around and does what he says, you can't, you can't apply that to God. The Bible says he was a helper. The same word used for Eve. Uh, so, women, to call you a helper is not to cheapen what the Bible says about you and your, your identity. Uh, it actually ought to elevate that. Same thing, uh, men. You are compared to Christ as the head. Sheesh, uh, what, what a calling. Uh, I, know you, I know you're not able, but God thought that was a good label for you uh, to be ahead. And so we're going we're gonna to talk more about that. But let me tell you how this has, <clears throat> has affected me and how I've thought about this just recently. Um, so Danielle and I have been married almost 22 years, and we, we, we have the same basic fight all the time, right? You know, it's like one of those fights that you, you make up and you figure it out and you repent, and, but you never really resolve this. It just kind of it comes up again, and this is basically it for us, and, I, and you may have this. Um, hey, babe, what's, what's your schedule like this week? Oh, well, I've got these meetings. I've got this. Oh, why are you doing that on Tuesday? And Oh, are you, are, you, are you questioning my commitment as a husband or a father? I told you I was, you know, we go to this, it has something to do with schedule, and then I get defensive because it feels like she's questioning whether I'm committed to the kids or committed to her, uh, you, know, I, you know, and so then I get defensive, I'm a good dad, and I, I give her the litany list of things I did last week that are good dad and good husband, and then she gets scared, oh, I'm sorry, you're such a good dad and husband, I can't ever question you about what you're doing. And we do this, right? And then, you know, we know enough of the gospel and how to do this. We repent, I'm sorry, you're right, I was defensive. But we never really got it resolved because it comes back up again, right? And it could be our thorn in the flesh for our life, right? We just deal with this. But, but it happened, so back in November or December, we got into it again, the same thing. And I got defensive, and I know I'm doing it. I know I'm, and she knows that, oh, here we go, he's going to, Give me the list why he's so great. Uh, and I'm going to get quiet and back away. So we said, let's get some help. So we called a friend of ours, a counselor friend. She's 70-something years old. She's, she's been a gym to us. She's been counseling for 45 years. And so we called her and said, you know, said, can we have a Skype? She was out of town, so we just did it over, like, Skype. And uh, it was great. So, she, I said, so I just gave her what I gave to you all just there. And uh, she said, well... Do you, do you have a goal in your life to be a good husband and a good father? Now, she knows my story. Uh, I come from a real dysfunctional home. My dad left when I was 13 or 14, went to jail for five or six years. I haven't seen him since I was 18. Uh, so I have, I have, to say that I have daddy issues is the understatement, right? Uh, Danielle's mom's been married three times. She doesn't have a relationship with her father, to, so to say that she has dysfunction is an understatement. So we're coming at this marriage thing really on strong footing, right? You know, great models, and you know, no, uh, we're, we feel like we've been f- trying to figure this thing out. But in God's good providence, He gave us a lot of good mothers and brothers and sisters in, in, that have guided us. So, but so <clears throat> she said, "Well, do you have a goal to be a good father?" And she knows my story. And it's like, yes, I want to be a good father and a good husband. That is a goal of mine. And she said, "There's your problem." And it, it rocked me back, like, what? The, the goal to be a good father and husband is a, my problem? She's like, yeah, your goal needs to be God. 
And your desire then can be a good, to be a good husband and a good father. And I'm telling you, it was like uh, the seas parted and I walked on dry ground. For the first time, I understood what she was getting at, what God was trying to teach me. Is if, if, if my goal was to be a good father and good husband and I succeeded, then I was proud and arrogant or questioned, uh, I was defensive. Or if I was bad and I knew it, then I was fearful, insecure, shame, all that. But if my goal is God, he never disappoints, he never fails, and then my desire is to be a good husband, good father, and I fail, I got God. He can help me. Uh, does, does that make sense? And that shift for me helped me with this, helped Danielle with this, that our, our desire is to be these things. We, we want to be these things. Our goal, our goal is not those things. Our goal is God. And that's that subtle shift of how good things can become idols, uh, that kind of thing, okay? So those are foundational things. All right, we okay? Keep going? All right, so here's what I want to do. And uh, this first one will go a little bit... Uh, these, are, these are the way I think about it. If we just lay the foundation, I think there's three pillars to having a healthy marriage. And I've got them structured like this. So on, on the ends is understanding the purposes of your marriage. Why did God create marriage? Okay, what, what are the purposes of marriage? And then there's, then there's on the other side, what is the reality of marriage? And, the, and Ephesians 5 talks about this, and you'll see what I, why I call it that in a second. But right in the middle is the gospel. The, the good news that you are not your own, you were bought with a price. The good news that you don't have a righteousness of your own that can save you, that Christ is your righteousness. The good news that you are now reconciled to God, therefore reconciled to each other. All that gospel language is right in the middle because... That's what will keep this house from crumbling in on itself, is the gospel. Because you will fail at the purposes, and you're going to fail at the reality, but the gospel will never fail you. So that, that, I put that pillar right in the middle because the good news of the gospel is what will sustain your marriage over the, the long haul. Through storms, through uh, child-rearing, through tragedy, through trauma, all that, the gospel will, will do that. So we're going to so do this first, you know, next 15 or 20 minutes will be on purposes, then we'll go to reality, then we'll end on gospel. Okay? All right. Let's, let's dive into the purposes of marriage. Passage here. Uh, there's a lot of passages we could have gone to. I'll just pick this one because it's the most succinct and uh, probably most familiar. But Genesis 2, uh, 18 to 25. Just so I can not talk all the time. Can somebody volunteer to uh, read? It has a loud voice. Read that passage. Okay, so this is the, 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 you know, the classic introductory teaching on marriage. 
Let me just pull a few things out here. You can flip back and forth, but you can see I've got, I've got them listed here. That um, First thing we see in this passage is that marriage was for companionship and completion. Um, the, uh, you know, Adam gets the parade of animals and he starts naming them. That's one of the things I, I want God to rewind the tape for me for when I get to heaven. I'd just like to see that, like what he, what he called them <laughs> when the zebra walked up, you know, like, what do you call that initially, you know? Uh, anyway, sorry. Um, but there wasn't a helper as good as your dog is and cat is to you. It's not a helper to you. Uh, God didn't, it wasn't sufficient for Adam. Uh, and it wasn't sufficient because Adam had needs that, and the work of the garden had needs. We're going to see that. And, and so what I tell every couple that I marry, I tell them two things. I look the husband, and we're going to get to this one in our second session. But of all the men, I'll, I'll repeat this over because I think men need to hear this over and over. I look the man in the eye and I say, of, of all the men in the world, to be the head of this woman, God thought you were the best. Uh, he names you the head. And, that, and I think men need to feel that, that backbone. You're not the head because you're a good one. You're not the head because you're smart. You're not the head because you've got a lot of training. You're not the head because you make a lot of money. You're, not the, you're the head because God told you you're the head. If, if you need more encouragement than God telling you something, then you've got some identity issues, right? If it's not enough for God to tell you you're the head of this family. Uh, that was Adam. And in the same way, I tell the wife of all the women in the world, no one was better fit to help this man than you. And God said that to you, wives. God said, you are the one that I want to be right next to this man as, they, as he does his world, as you do your world, as you do life together. Uh, that sort of uh, God-centered moxie is what it takes because I know we don't act like that a lot. We don't feel like that a lot. I don't perform like that a lot, Right? But God has said that. And so God gave Adam and Eve a companion. And they were to complete each other. The world would be horrific if it was all male. And the world would be equally horrific if it was all female. And you can just, it's a fun exercise sometimes to run through. Why would it be that way? If if it was just a bunch of men. Like, just the disaster that would be. The odors alone. (laughs) Right? the world were just women, what a disaster that would be. Just the emotions alone, right? Okay, I'm not, that's as far as I'm going to go with, the, uh, with the, uh, the problems. But God in his wisdom didn't leave us male or female. He gave us each other. He, in his wisdom, knew we needed each other. Men, you need your wife. You need her. Women, you need him. He completes you. Uh, now, This is a room full of married people. I would say the same thing to single folks. They just get Jesus as their only source of completion and companion. This is the thing the church has missed with single folks. Is that single folks actually have it a lot better. uh, Because they get to go right to the top of who completes that. They don't have the complexity of having to figure out how I relate to her. And the sin that I bring and she brings. You know, Paul even said that. I wish you could have the way I am and have undistracted devotion to Christ. Marriage is a total distraction to your walk with Jesus, to the, to the mission of the world, it's in the way. Now, but Paul says, don't, if you're married, don't get unmarried. It's okay, you don't sin. But the point is, God gave you each other because 
he needed you to be completed. He needed a companion. And the sooner you can turn at, you know, next, in the bed next to each other at the dinner table and say, I need you. And she can reciprocate, I need you. Now we're, now we're working well together. So that, that was the first thing. Second thing was the person, there was a work and a mission God had intended. Adam, Adam was in charge of dominion, uh, bringing the, the creatures of the world, the, the garden, under, the rule, under his rule. He, and he needed help with that. This was a, this was a two-man, two-image-bearer uh, role. It needed a male and a female. Again, we could, we could work this out. Uh, the, the brilliance of God to, to give us a male component and a female component to the work and mission of the world. Uh, men see the world differently than women do. Women see the world differently than men do. And we complement each other when we work together to pull that off, to pull off the mission of God. And so one question I like to always ask couples, are, are you guys as a couple clear on your work and mission? Beyond just the, the clear calls of, uh, of sanctification and evangelism of the world, we're going to get to some of that, but God has made each of you unique in his own image. You are fearfully and wonderfully made. You have passions and gifts and experiences that other couples don't have. And when you as a couple can figure out, this is how God made us. This is what he wants us to do with our education, with our funds, with our location, with our gifts, with our experiences. Then you are starting to work together in oneness. Um, so that'd be a great question. And I don't have this as one, but you can, we can add it. Uh, is are you as a family clear, as a couple, this is our work, this is our mission. There's some universal things that I know y'all are doing as a church, universally, that we're all committed to. But there's some unique things that the Hendersons have, that the Witheringtons have, that we're going to do differently than other people. And that's the beauty of the body of Christ, is we have diverse uh, gifts, we have diverse uh, callings, and that kind of thing. Work mission. Thirdly, there is, is worship. Um, Adam and Eve, and, and, and this to me, um, and, and some of the other triangles that I, I use, instead of the image bearer at the top, I, I oftentimes will put worship, because I think that's the essence of worship, is giving glory to God. So that's why Paul could say, whether you eat or drink, do it all to the glory of God. There's a way to worship God by eating and drinking. Uh, there's simple things. Yes, singing. Yes, praying. Yes, hearing the word taught. Uh, yes, fellowship. But all of life is, is, a, is, a, is a worship to God. Your marriage ought to be that way too. And this, this really does get to the simple components of uh, being informed in your marriage by the word of God, not the whims of the world. Uh, this is really important that you have as a foundation in your home the word of God. Are we worshiping together as a family around what the Bible says or are we blowing to and fro with the whims of the culture and uh, or, our, or even worse, maybe I'm right in my own eyes. I'm doing what I think is right in my own eyes. Uh, and, then, and then the idea of prayer. Uh, you know, Billy, Billy and I talk about this all the time, just that, that we're praying with our spouses. We're praying with our families. And listen, let me liberate you a little bit here. There is not a formulaic way to do this. You can't go to the Bible and go, oh, that's family devotions. <laughs> uh, there's, there is utter freedom here. And some of you have kids in family situations that are in Christian schools and you may be involved in ministry at a high level. You may need to tone down a little bit your quest to have family devotions because that's all your kids get is devotional stuff going on in their life. This, I, I think this is a pastor. 
My kids, I walk in the door, and if I just downloaded my day, it's Bible, it's prayer, it's confession of sin. Like, I'm just downloading my day. So if I, if I come and, and make my children sit under my teaching for a family devotion, that can feel sort of heavy-handed for, for our family. So I've chosen to say, I'm just going to integrate our family prayer life, our family worship into my ebb and flow. Now, you may be an accountant, and you come home, and you bore your family to death with numbers and you know, spreadsheets, and your kids aren't, that, that, you may need to really have a centralized, hey, let's gather in the living room together, and let me unpack the word of God for you. Everybody's got to fill that out for yourself. There is not one way, and you need to, you need to have enough discernment as a couple to say, this is what it would mean for our family to worship in the word and prayer together. And uh, I'm sure you've got some things in your church that you guys can do that. If you need help with that, ask. How, do, how, do, how would I do this in my family? Because I've seen some, I've seen some pretty, pretty scary things. I've had to counsel uh, Christian kids who had family devotions their whole life, and it was like the most oppressive moment of their week. <laughs> because it's like, you know, you got the two-year-old who can't hardly sit still, Son, sit still while I read you the Bible. Like, that kid doesn't hear, oh, he's reading me God's word. It's eternally good for my soul. He hears a yelling father screaming at me about a book that he's holding in his hand. Well, I'm going to disassociate with that book because I saw the fire coming out of his hand. Does that, does that make sense? Like, there's a way to do this that's actually harmful uh, to, your, to your family. Uh, and believe me, as a pastor, I've counseled some of those. And some of the, some of the most harsh uh, people that I've had to counsel are Pastor's kids, uh, you know, yikes. Uh, I tell Danielle, it's like, oh my gosh, we're killing our kids. Uh, or Christian kids who mean well. So I just, I, I would say just there, get some help with that. Think it through, worship. All right, fourth, the one we've all been wanting to get to, sex, right? Uh, th- this was a purpose of marriage. So if you're not having sex, I have to say it, then you're violating one of the purposes of marriage. You are. Uh, now, there's, Paul says there's seasons and reasons why you abstain from that. Uh, but there's good reason for that. It's, it's for prayer, fasting, it's to deal with something. Uh, one of the joys of marriage is that you get to have sex. Uh, they were naked and not ashamed. Now, yes, there's a whole bunch more to that than they were just derobed uh, and standing there nude. Uh, their souls were laid bare. Uh, their lives were laid bare, and they weren't shamed. Now, that's not the case now. I mean... Most of us can't even change clothes in the light. We're so full of shame. Uh, much less bear our soul to somebody. Uh, so there, there's a whole bunch more to the whole nakedness thing here, right? But marriage ought to be the safest place for you to be derobed physically and, and emotionally. For you can be you. And, and, and I know your experiences. Those two often merge in the same place in the bedroom. In, the, in that intimate part where I, I actually feel the most shame uh, when we're together because of other stuff out here. So I, sex is, yes, a thermometer uh, that you can uh, test the temperature of your relationship, and it can also be a thermostat where it sets the temperature of your marriage. Do you understand that language? Um, and, and, and you should, it, how you're doing uh, in, the, in the intimacy component of your marriage will reveal so much about the other components of your marriage. Because if you're selfish, with your time and money, you're going to be selfish in the bedroom. Um, if you're, if you're, if you're uh, 
insecure, if you're demanding, if you're performance-oriented in the bedroom, then you're probably that way in your parenting. It's just, there's no way to isolate these because it's a part of the purpose of marriage is that this was a component of intimacy. In fact, the, the way the Bible chooses to lay the language, uh, you know, Genesis 4.1 says that Adam knew Eve and she conceived. I mean, it doesn't take a rocket science to know what that word knew is supposed to lead us to understand he's talking about. Oh, he, he, he knew her personality? Uh, he knew her family story and it produced a baby? No. He knew her and they had a baby. They, that, that's a powerful word. I know my wife and it creates an offspring. There's a, a knowledge there. And I, 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 the way I phrase it here is it's procreation. Yes, it's producing more offspring, but it's also recreation. <laughs> You're supposed to enjoy this. It's, uh, you, you have certain nerve sensors in certain places of your body because you're supposed to enjoy this. It's not supposed to be a grin and bear it. It's not supposed to be uh, this whatever it is you've made it out to be. It's supposed to be something that connects you. It's supposed to be something that uh, restores you, renews you, uh, and yes, produces. And let me just say a word here. I know we're, we're in a hypersexual culture. I mean, you can't even watch a Hardy's hamburger commercial. And, and with, a, with, a, with pure thoughts. I mean, you just can't. Or getting nauseated. Like, I, I can't even drive by a Hardee's now with the thought of, you know, it's just nauseating. But um, in, the, in, the, uh, in Ephesians, um, I think it's 5.3. Uh, why, why don't you just turn there with me? Give me a, a chance to breathe. Can, can, I, can somebody give me a, a bottle of water? Put somebody on the end there? That'd be great. Um, just, just a quick word about this, because I know we've got old-timers here and, and, and newcomers to marriage and, and, and sex and intimacy. Just a quick word here. Ephesians 5.3. But sexual immorality and all impurity or covetousness must not e- even be named among you as is, a, as is proper among the saints. Uh, must not even be named is the ESV. I don't know what the King James says. Does anybody have the NIV, the New International Version here? Who? What does it say there? Okay. That's good. That's good. Not even a hint of sexual morality. And, and, and what's interesting about that word is the ESV says not be named. I think the King James says must not be named among you. But the idea is the hint or being named is if I have a if I'm trying to make spaghetti and I put a hint of paprika in it or a hint of red pepper, it changes the, the spaghetti recipe, doesn't it? Just even a hint of some of these spices. To take that into your marriage, a hint of sexual morality in your marriage, sexual relationship, can really damage your relationship. A hint of it. So if you're uh, looking at magazines or looking at the internet or looking at your Instagram page and comparing your bodies to other people and you bring that into if you bring that hint of sexual morality into your marriage, it will flavor the whole thing. And so if that's happened, it's okay. Repent of that. And then talk about it. Why, why I was thinking this last night or why I acted that way is because I had engaged in this or I had looked at her bathing suit page or I had, and I got insecure, I got afraid, I got, and I brought not purity of thought into this relationship, but I brought a hint of immorality into that. Uh, get some help with that if that's a struggle, because it, it can. It can 
it can set a, a long-range damage of trajectory in your, in your intimacy. But you, one of the purposes of marriage was, was that you would have sex and it would not be shameful. Uh, and I know in our hypersexualized culture, there's a lot of shame in this area. Uh, and so one other, one other word, Joel 2. So I, had a, I, had, I brought into marriage uh, a host of, of uh, promiscuous relationships. My wife didn't. And I had a whole bunch of shame um, coming in. I, I didn't think I deserved her. Uh, I didn't think I could deal with it. I thought she was going to think I was some freak, you know. And driving in my car, uh, the, about a month before I got married, I was listening to the Christian radio. And, uh, and I'd only been a Christian for a little while. And uh, I heard, heard a pastor preach on Joel 2, 23 through 27. And in that story, Joel was the prophet who came after the, uh, God had sent the destructive locust onto the nation of Israel for their sin. And he had sent the pestilence of a locust, and they ate everything. Uh, killed all the crops, killed all the animals. It had utterly destroyed Israel. But Joel came and he says to them, and, and the, God says through Joel, I will restore to you the years the locusts have eaten, uh, and you will eat in plenty, and you, my people will never again be put to shame. And the pastor made the connection that all of us have those things in our life, the sin patterns that locusts have eaten. And for me, it was that, that area of, of sexual promiscuity. And I felt a release at that moment that, that, okay, yes, I'm forgiven and renewed by Jesus, that he's going to restore to me at an eternal level, but he gave me Daniel to restore to me the years the locust had eaten. I can eat in plenty. I can uh, go to the threshing floors and have plenty of uh, wheat and wine, is what he says. I can be renewed. I'm not, I'm not scarred goods. I'm not, I don't walk around with a scarlet letter. You know, uh, That was liberating for me. And so uh, there, there is no sin that you can outpunt the grace of Christ. Uh, what does the joy to the world say? He came to make his mercies known as far as the curse is found. So as far as you can trace the curse, there's enough grace out there for it. There's enough forgiveness there. And we're going to talk about that at the end. All right, the last two here are sanctification and mirroring Christ in the church. This is what our second session is going to be on. But I wanted to put these here because these are a purpose of the marriage. And most of you are like, amen to the sanctification stuff. Uh, my marriage is the most sanctifying uh, component of my life. She's always on me. He's always on me about my issues, right? Uh, I'm being sanctified. Uh, but there's more than just uh, nagging about your besetting sins, right? This is, this is setting you apart for holiness. This is, uh, your marriage is there to make you more like Christ, uh, not just to point out your flaws and, uh, and win arguments and that kind of thing. And then you are, there's a very uh, gospel missional component to marriage. You are to show the world how Christ relates to his church. Uh, that's, that's one of the things that, that marriage does. And so that's a purpose of marriage as well. Your marriage, again, the image-bearing component, is to reflect God and his glory in the world. Okay, um, <clears throat> let's stop there. And I want to give you some time to interact over this with, with, with your spouse. Okay, if your spouse isn't here, then maybe I see a couple of guys here that don't have their spouses. Uh, either you're single or your spouse doesn't like you. Oh, all right, or they're in different seats. Okay, great. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, anyway, I don't, I don't want to make anyone feel uncomfortable in this. So if, you, if, you're, if your spouse isn't here or you're single here, uh, you can come hang out with me and we can talk about these things. Uh, or you can get, you know, check your email or whatever.
Um, but here's, here's what the, the lion's share of you are with your spouse. Turn the page. And here's, I want you to take the next, um, we'll, take, uh, we'll take 20 minutes. Okay? And, uh, and just get, get started. I want you to get all four questions on the table. This might be discussions for later. Uh, these might certainly be things you want to take to your, home, your neighbor, what do y'all call them, home group? Home group leaders? Uh, to your elders? Listen, I, I have the utter, in, utter expectation that some of the things that will come out today, you will broaden out to the circles of people that can help you. Okay? I know these brothers. I know these sisters. They are here to help you through this. Okay? You, you don't have to. If, if I say something today that goes, yikes, that if that comes out, uh, I don't know what will happen. Let it come out. All right? Uh, there's people here that can, that can help you, okay? All right, so here's, here's, the, here's the questions. I'll read them, and then we'll break up. Which of the purposes do you think your marriage is doing well, and why? I want you to brag on your marriage a little bit, even if it's in shambles right now. Find something together. You know, we actually do this pretty good. And you may say we fight pretty good, you know, whatever. Uh, but find something you do well, okay? That's not one of the purposes of marriage that you fight, so you can't actually use that one. Uh, but find a purpose of marriage that, you, that, that you're doing well. Secondly, which of the purposes do you think your marriage needs the most help with? And, and name that. Name it together. Uh, it's okay. Name it. And you don't have to solve it today. Uh, husbands, don't fix your wife during this time. Okay? Because I know every one of you try to do that, because I try to do it. <laughs> oh, you think we're well, not doing good? Well, let me explain it. Don't do it. Okay? If she, gives, if she has the courage to tell you this is something, let it, let it sit. If he has the courage to tell you something, wives, don't crumble and think the world's coming to an end today. Let it sit. Let it rest. Get some help if you need to. But let's name it. There's such a power to naming what it is we struggle with. Once it stays out here, it's unfixable. It's ambiguous, so name it. Three, in what ways does your spouse complete you? Encourage him or her. Hey, babe, this is, this is, this is how you complete me. Hey, honey, this is how you complete me. Name it. And then in what ways... Does your spouse have most sanctify you? This is where you kind of can say, yeah, this is kind of where my edges get dulled and, and we get shaped here. But, babe, this is a similar question, but this is how you complete me. This is how you embolden my strengths. Let's use it that way. And this is how you help me in my weaknesses. This is, this is how you help me boast in my weaknesses so that I need the grace of God. You know, that, that whole teaching of 2 Corinthians 12. Okay? Uh, four good questions. Uh, good luck. Um, can they just break up in, in here? Or? You know, there's a lot of little corners in the whole building. You can go wherever you'd like to go. But really, try to be back by uh, 20, 25 after. Yep, that's great. Okay, let me pray. Let me pray and ask God to bless this time. Because this, this, to me, is the most important time where you actually get to talk about some material. Uh, and and uh, I'm going to ask God to help. Lord, thank you, thank you for this uh, group of brothers and sisters that are so eager to have their marriages be built on the foundation of Christ, have your word. I pray that this, these next few moments, you'd give them grace to have healthy engagement, dialogue, uh, strengthen areas that need strengthening, correct areas that need correction. But Lord, let there be some good conversations in your spirit now. In Jesus' name, amen.